Stolen Well Met Adventures, and welcome to the Audio Armory, an exploration of weaponry through the ages. I am your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I am your local smith, Liz Belts. How are you doing today, Liz? I'm, I'm, do- I'm doing okay. I actually went out and saw somebody blacksmith today, so that was pretty cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Little old guy. Super cool. So was this at like a, like, oh, I saw, like, is that like a fair or something? Yeah, they have uh, an event called uh, Shaker Woods, and it's basically Christmas in the Woods, and it's like a tiny village in the woods of Amish country, and it's kind of creepy. I can only imagine that it's very terrifying, you know, when nobody is there, because it's a tiny village that's only occupied for this event. Right. Um, But no, in the far end of it, there is a blacksmith who comes over from Michigan, actually, and has a bunch of... uh, old-timey tools uh he's got a drill press that actually functions by hand so like you crank it and it can drill through like tool steel which i thought was super amazing that's i know nothing about that but that sounds super cool (laughs) like i mean it sounds like a bunch of like really cool traditional tools and like how you would craft these things normally before we had all this crazy technology yeah it was super cool so on that note what are we talking about today liz I figured today we'd be talking about you know, more common sword, the broadsword, um, which is tradition. The, what? The broadsword, huh? Emily, don't. That's a pretty broad topic em- to start Emily. on, don't you think? Emily, no. <laughs> Emily, no. <laughs> but seriously, it's uh, traditionally a wide blade, double-edged and uh sometimes has a large basket or guard that protects the swordsman's hands um but the blade length actually varies depending on what it's meant for um typically was used as a knight's blade between the 5th and 15th centuries but existed long before the medieval times um actually some of the earliest swords were discovered in the bronze age which was for those who may not know, around 3000 BC. So this is the type of sword where if you were to kind of just tell someone off the street without any sort of prior knowledge, like, hey, draw me a sword, or like, what do you think of like when I mention a sword? Just like like that basic term. They would probably default to sort of talking about or describing a broad sword. Yeah, basically. Um, it's the most common sword in movies books mainly because it was associated so much with knights and that's a really large fantasy topic um with you know medieval times with the knights and you know slaying dragons saving the princess you know blah 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 right a lot of our a lot of our popular culture kind of used that sort of narrative and popularized that uh visual um but you said that these types of swords were seen as early as the bronze age yes um they were made from casted bronze um mainly because at that time iron wasn't used it wasn't really not so much discovered but that um the way that they used it wasn't quite you know, know that it could hold up so so much better. Typically, in that age, copper was the most used material. Um, But when they came across combining both copper and tin, 
it created bronze and it resulted in a much sturdier metal than what they had typically used. And they had a lot a little bit of decoration. Uh, most of the time they ha were riveted together or if they were just casted entirely had fake rivets just because it was the aesthetic of this of the time. Basically the best way to describe it is like a leaf-shaped blade. So like at the end where the handle is it was a little thinner and then it kind of flared out to a point. So it made like a sharp oval basically. Okay okay um and like these types of swords, were they m more used as just like cutting tools or were they actually used in sort of what we would consider like combat? It kind of varies. Uh, typically it was used for combat. A lot of swords were used for hunting actually, because at the time, you know, guns weren't invented and spears sometimes would help get you from a distance, but once the animal was wounded, you had to get up close and finish it off. So swords were used for a variety of purposes, some for battle, some for hunting, cutting, what have you. Um, but because bronze is such a softer material, it didn't withstand a whole lot of combat in use. You would get um, maybe a little bit of more intense use out of it before it would either dent up or break on you i don't want to backtrack a little bit but mm -hmm. you're telling me guns didn't exist well hush that doesn't make any sense liz historically that during the bronze age we wouldn't have figured out rifling by then it wasn't typically used and shut up <laughs> shut your face hole <laughs> Shut your face hole. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying that back in ancient times when all we we mostly the, in, in in the aptly named Bronze Age we we hadn't figured out um like, you know, anti-air missiles. No, well, we did. Um actually, we would throw rocks at birds. <laughs> And uh, that would just kind of, you just let them drop on whomever you could, whenever you could. And it was, it was a little bit more difficult then. Uh, but, you know, those, those birds were pretty freaking big back then. Was, they, they could take some damage. See, I thought you were going to go the government conspiracy level. And instead you went the, you went the throw rocks at birds level. And, and you know what? I think that worked a lot better. Okay. So, so. We used, in the Bronze Age, you know, the our tools were very limited, so the swords we made were, were very crude, for the most part, um, in, in terms of, like, craftsmanship. When did we start seeing kind of what we typically think of as a broadsword? The sort of very finely polished knight's blade, as it were. Well, we started seeing it uh, around the Iron Age. Actually, the Vikings were one of the first groups to really utilize iron into um, a tool. They had some rather intense forges that they started up where they would heat iron billets and fold them over and over and over to create um, more hardened steel. Um, and mainly they came across this simply because of 
their love for battle and how they found um, such honor in dying in battle and being able to pass their sword down from, you know, from generation to generation. Um, though a lot of their process is still basically unknown. Um, we know a general idea of it, but all the specifics is still yet to be discovered. I actually uh, know one of the local groups where I am. Um, I know what you're talking about, and I cannot remember the name of it. Society for Creative An- yes. Acron- Anachronism. The yes. Society for Creative Anachronism. Yes. So the SCA. Um, actually, uh, somebody came up to me and was talking to me about how they were trying to discover more specifics on how uh, Vikings created their blades through traditional means of doing it. And uh, actually, a lot of it included burning hay on steel um, to get it a high- higher carbon content and make it a lot stronger than what it typically is okay this is gonna probably sound like a dumb question but you previously mentioned that they were using iron for their swords what's the connection between iron and steel because i never understood that so basically it's the treatment of it iron on its own is a very hard but also brittle piece of material Um, So through the process of heating it up, uh, mixing it with a variety of different, like, for example, uh, the Vikings used hay to carbonate their their iron. Um, That carbon helps change basically the the feel of the steel and how it basically makes it more a little bit more malleable. Uh, It doesn't flake off. It doesn't... uh, it's not as brittle as iron typically is. It's basically a mix of different chemical reactions happening um, that causes it to be a little bit more flexible, but also maintain its strength um, through tempering, which didn't really happen so much in this time. Tempering didn't really happen more until more of the medieval ages. Yeah, basically it was, it's, the difference is the chemical makeup. So basically, what you're saying is blacksmiths are chemists. Yes. Because they took iron and added carbon to it to create steel. Yes. I never, like, this is, <laughs> I'm not doing a bit here. I genuinely never realized that. And I'm kind of in awe at that. Because, yeah. like, I don't know, I guess I always pictured, like, it was just, here's a metal, and then you heat it up. And you hit it a lot. And, like, I know that's there's a lot more to what you do than that. But <laughs> that's how I always pictured it. No. And, and I never consider the fact that it's like, oh, you're burning hay. And that that adds carbon to the metal. And it literally changes the chemical makeup of the iron so it becomes steel. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, they didn't know what they were doing. They're just like, hey, if we do this, this happens. So <laughs> let's do that more. Uh, But yeah, actually working with metal in general actually requires uh, a little little basic knowledge of chemistry, unless, I mean, you're a pro and then you're just like, I know all of chemistry, I know all of life, it's 42. (laughs) (laughs) You're basically just really, you've, you've ranked... You've, you've exceeded all of your ranks in both chemistry and metalworking, and then you can just make anything you want. Mm-hmm. 
You want that puppy? Just make that puppy. Don't make a puppy out of metal. Don't don't make a sword puppy. That sounds like a bad idea. That sounds like a beautiful idea. On next week's episode, sword <laughs> puppies. No. Um, okay. Make your so own we have iron so pup. we. So we've kind of gone from, you know, we have the Bronze Age where they were kind of used as tools for hunting. And then what it sounds like is in the Viking Age or sort of in the Iron Age and we get into the time of the Vikings. Uh, that sort of introduced this idea of of them being used as tools in battle. Uh, so how did things progress from there? Um, well, from there, we ended up entering more of the medieval uh, period where knights would use them as you know, means for the Crusades and other intense battles, but basically... So by, so by medieval, we're talking, we're, we're mainly focusing on, like, medieval Europe right now. Yes. Okay. Um, this basically, what we're discussing today will mostly cover um, Europe, because to go anywhere else is an entirely different, a different block to enter. Um mm-hmm though both of them correlate pretty well it's helpful to have an understanding of them separately and then make the correlations in europe around this time uh a lot of the swords were still wider um but now with the steel and starting it it's starting to get treated Mm -hmm. it was much harder which allowed for piercing of armor to occur the so, the metal itself was harder yes okay so it could pierce through chain mail really easily um it did have some trouble with plated armor but right. if you got in the right spot you could still do a lot of damage um but a lot of this a lot of the blades at the time actually started adapting a kind of indent a little groove that went in the middle of the blade and kind of down the middle. And this groove helped to make the blade lighter so that when you're swinging it around, what have you, you have a little bit more control because that momentum isn't as potent as it would be if it would be a solid blade. Um, and It's th- basically ensuring that the blade is, is weighted correctly so that like a person can use it without yeah. you're just without it being literally swinging a chunk of metal around. Like it becomes more of like an actual usable tool Correct. instead of just like we pounded a bunch of steel out into a rod and then we sharpened <laughs> it and uh, stabbed this big rod into somebody. Yeah, you know, just well. I was going to make a joke, but we got to keep it clean now, don't we? I <laughs> <laughs> see clean in language, not in not in uh, topic. So if you want to make the raw dick joke, go for it. Dick jokes. Thanks. You're um, now, I remember now you mentioned earlier or we might we, when we were talking about this, when we were kind of discussing working on this whole thing, uh, this sort of idea that some people thought that. Uh, the grooves in these types of blades were for sacrificial purposes in that like it was sort of this thing of like oh well if you stab someone with it if you have this groove in the middle of the blade uh it will help the blood drain down it and and you did some looking into that yeah and before anybody gets their hopes up that's it's not real it's not true that's entire that's entirely apocryphal (laughs) yes um but uh I think that derived from the big 
idea that the groove was actually meant to because when you stab somebody i mean apparently there was some theory that it could get stuck because of the suction when you try to pull it back out and they figured that it's like oh well the groove has to be you know to kind of let the blood drip through and you can slip the blade back out but it doesn't make any sense sorry i had that mental image of just like the noise of suction in the context of stabbing someone and i was like "Mm, no thanks no thanks (laughs) (laughs) try not to think about it too hard oh god like a straw (laughs) oh god ew no no Yeah. So, no, that's that's not what it's for. It's it's actually to make the blade lighter. Um in comparison to what you might be told in whatever gruesome way, it's more just for a shock factor and to apparently make Emily cringe within herself. Uh, <laughs> it is a good story. Like it definitely is a compelling story of like did you know that there's a groove in the thing cuz it drains blood? Like like it, it and if you look at a sword, like I can see where someone would go. I guess that makes sense but like it it just doesn't it it seems a little too it's one of those things where it's like too ridiculous yeah so now i kind of want to see a horror game go a little bit more intense with that idea i probably shouldn't have watched a lot of horror games before we were doing this (laughs) it's themed us uh welcome to an extra spooky episode (laughs) um happy spoopoween yeah really uh but anyway so so back on to nights into dreams <laughs> that's a bad joke i'm sorry leave nights Go. medieval nights medieval nights not the very popular sega dreamcast game very popular so back on to nights uh basically um each knight had a specific sword uh each one served a certain purpose Uh, Long, narrow swords with heavier pommels were used for thrusting, basically, mainly because the thinner the blade was, it was easier to penetrate through armor or through, as wonderful as this is, the tiny holes that are in helmets so that you can have a shish kebab. And then then they had some swords that were for Tuesdays and some that were for rainy days and some where they were like, it's just a nice day out and I need my seasonal spring sword. (laughs) It's just, you know, gilded with nice, wonderful greenery from wonderful Mother Earth. And and I'm sure we'll get into this further, but there definitely was a difference at this time. Because, I mean, like, I think when you go to a museum and you see a lot of the different swords there, you definitely see swords that are, are like, literally more gilded and more ornamental. Um, so I guess maybe briefly, like, c- can we briefly talk about the sort of difference between uh sort of a ceremonial sword that a, 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 a typical medieval europe knight would have versus one that they would take into say a battle during the crusades sure um basically the major difference is the complexity of the design uh typically the blades that were taken into battle were very simplistic didn't have a lot of ornamentation on it because it was going to take damage. What's the point of doing all this intense stuff? Um, that and it would, they would sometimes break. It depended on, you know, how it was made and how intense 
the battle was and what they were really using it for. But for ceremonial purposes, a lot of the blades were very much gilded. They had intricate designs carved into them. Um, they had bronze inlay, copper inlay, and in inlay for anybody that might not know is basically just putting other materials into carved out grooves and just implanting them into it. So it's basically a contrast in the material. Um, now, would this be would inlay and that sort of delicate work be done by the same person who was forging like would it also be done by a blacksmith or would that maybe go to like a different crafter at the time um i guess that would depend um i'm sure blacksmiths at the time did know how to do it but i suppose it would depend on the demands that they have and their personal knowledge but typically yes everything is done by a blacksmith Right, because I was going to say, like, you've done everything from, like, the, the sort of standard block of steel and then kind of crafting that into a blade. And then, but also doing the lot, like, you know, you've, like, done the engraving and, like, the delicate work. And I guess the sort of this idea of, like, would the blacksmith have been a one-stop shop or or would, would they have gone to, like, different people for, for different types of work? And I suppose it's, you know, it was different depending on the, the class of the night yes and also each blacksmith had a specialization um kind of like today everybody has their own like you could call yourself uh an engineer but you don't know everything about engineering you know a specific thing um and the same goes for medieval times and smiths uh typically they had one one thing that they were like spot on with like people would go to them for this thing and it's um, it's very much possible that there was more collaboration, uh, but typically it was reserved. It was a one-stop shop, like mm-hmm. like you said, um, basically because I mean, what else is a smith to do other than play with metal all day? <laughs> Go to a party? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, you know I don't know what the thing rave. to do was then. Did you say medieval rave? Yes, I did. Oh, God. Actually, a lot of... You could tell who did what blade um, and what details by the stamps. Um, Each sword typically has a stamp somewhere along the blade. Uh, Tends to be somewhere towards the bottom of it. But more intricately designed weapons were made for higher ranking people so like your kings your nobles um for decorative purposes not so much use because if they just want to be like hey look at me i have all this money right it was like Um, a status symbol exactly and and these stamps kind of would be sort of an art like like the blacksmith like an artist signing their work it was the blacksmith stamp yes and that varied between having like a symbol or their entire name along the length of the blade. Depends on, you know... How long your name is. <laughs> yeah. Or if you just really want to be that person. <laughs> and just have your entire name engraved on this giant chunk of steel. Imagine your name's like Archibald uh, the 32nd. And, and it would just, like, take, like, the whole length of the blade. <laughs> exactly. Like, and then, maybe, like, you go over on the back side. And it's yeah, like, maybe you also, like, had really big handwriting. 
You know, it's like it's like those kids in elementary school who would always like, hey, can I get an extra piece of paper for the essay? Because because like they wrote five words and they used the one piece of paper. And it would be like that, but for a sword. Exactly. And then actually, you'd you'd go you'd order something from that smith, and he'd give you two, and they they give you two swords because the name was so big. Exactly. And they had to, they had to like, it, you would lay, it was like a puzzle. You could lay it down and this is all incorrect. Do it's not cite this. It's all... I am lying. I am a liar. No, it's actually all true. It's part of the Illuminati. No. And, uh... <laughs> and then they threw some rocks at birds. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're all very historically correct here on Audio yeah. Armory. Yeah. We try our best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so we kind of have this timeline from from you know the Bronze Age to the Iron Age and the Vikings, and then sort of the Medieval Age with knights. Um, how did we progress? How did the history of the broadsword progress from there? Um, well, from there we kind of jump a couple hundred years into the English Civil War. Um, this is when you know firearms were beginning to take over battlefields, mm-hmm. um, not quite airstrikes. But, you know, just guns, cannons. I mean, not quite even aiming. Like, I'm assuming at this point we don't even have rifling and that sort of thing. Like, we're talking about muskets, right? Yeah. We're talking, like, you could have the barrel on them and somehow you still miss. miss. Right. (laughs) Right. We're talking talking, uh, American Revolution guns. Exactly. And, I mean, that's swords were still primarily used Mm -hmm. um, because of that. Mm -hmm. But they were mostly reserved for those that were on horseback um and at this point they were kind of taking on this weird fusion um they were becoming a little bit more like a rapier both horse and man oh the sword okay (laughs) i was like picturing like keep going go get out of here Oh, you are Continue. Conti- I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm sorry for interrupting your beautiful war story. Please uh-huh. continue. No, no, it's ruined now. <laughs> no, please, please go on. We have to keep going with this, with this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, basically, um, broadswords, the blades were typically the same. Maybe a little bit, you know, narrower, um, but handles now had these very intricate baskets that covered over the hand um and like the it really started to take on this is that a broadsword or is that a rapier what's happening here is that wicker why why do you do this why do you do this to me you better get used to it this is this is what i do Anyway, continue. Um, but typically, it started taking more of this rapier design because they were trying to get trying to get past the armor. They were trying to pierce through armor at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because at this, because though it wasn't as worn, um, armor did still sometimes exist during this period just not quite as intense as the medieval times what Um, time uh what uh what year are we talking about right now just uh, to kind of get the timeline straight um around the 1600s okay okay um at this point but um 
because yeah, it was... back then back then medieval times were legit like yeah. those jousts that you would see like that wasn't acting my dudes like people would die and the yeah. chicken probably still wasn't very good no. that was my good medieval times joke everybody i want to go back <laughs> that was really good chicken Look, okay, look, okay, we're gonna go off on it. We're gonna go off on a medieval times tangent now. I had a terrible experience at medieval times, and everyone else that I talk to is like, no, medieval times is great. I got sick at medieval times, did, like, and, and I will never go I'm, back. I'm gonna stop you for a second. Okay. So did I. And you still want to go back? Yes. Why? Because knights jousting each other like it's cool you swore and we're not allowed to do that i'm sorry but i got excited but like i don't okay the knights are cool i will i will admit the knights are cool and stuff but like i don't want like food poisoning jousting (laughs) food poisoning jousting like i gotta draw the line man no because at that point you're making a sacrifice you you are taking on it's, the pain that they're taking on so it's, it's like a true equal... medieval experience <laughs> exactly then everyone had dysentery why don't you have it too exactly that's how you it's how you get right back into the time have some of our nasty chicken that you can't see because it's dark exactly also maybe we have some sort of napkin just use your shirt good luck buddy <laughs> anyway anyway we're diverting too much english civil war english civil war um at this point, uh, there was a lot of stuff happening with, you know, uh, the royalists and the pol- parliamentarians. Sorry, that's a hard one. That's um, okay. And it was typically used by those um, over around England. However, uh, the Germans, Italians, and even Spanish um, broadswords were taking on this style, too. Uh, but a lot of them had their very own twists. Um, and I think this is the coolest thing ever, and I want to make a sword like this. Uh, <laughs> they inc- on, on the hilt, they included these things that they call quillions, but they're basically like these claws that come off the guard, and then you use it to trap swords, so you like can bring your opponent's sword down and like beat the crap out of them if you wanted oh, to. okay, okay. Um, so... Basically, at that point, it was a whole new strategy to hand-to-hand combat like that. Um, it sounds a lot more like, I mean, just the way that action you described of, like, trapping a sword and disarming your opponent sounds a lot more fencing-like, which, I mean, I think, I guess, gets back to your idea that these swords, these broadswords are kind of now evolving into not quite rapiers, but more rapier-like yeah, because rapiers did exist in this time, but it was they weren't quite strong enough to withhold in battle. So they kind of did a fusion of the two okay. to make it not only a little bit more practical, but I guess also fuel, um, you know, designs for rapiers and encourage more artisans to... Uh, do more intricate design work with their blades mm-hmm. um, because at this point there was a lot of intense chiseling um, and detailed designs that started to loop around the baskets and that really started to carry back over to rapiers and like basically at this point things are swapping back and forth 
like crazy. Okay, um, so we're kind of having this this change between, like, it's sort of like a dance between broadswords and rapiers. Like, they're trading elements and, and kind of evolve. Now, would you say that the sort of, the result of this, the sort of, like you said, it was sort of this blend of a broadsword and a rapier, would you still consider it a broadsword? Is, or is it, like, starting to become a, a, a classification of sword ty- entirely of its own? Um, it's kind of going off on its own. But at the same time, it's still classified. So basically, it's a subcategory of okay. um, a broadsword, which okay. there's a lot of subcategories. Um, uh, there's an evolution of, uh, from this, you have like cavalry swords and things of that nature um, that derive from broadswords because... Broadswords were actually one of the first designs for a sword okay. and is a building block for all the other types of bladed weaponry we now have today. This weird mother of all things sharp and for battle and hunting. Um, so, I mean, I definitely said it as a goof that broadswords are a very broad topic, but like that's completely legitimate. It's... I mean, I mean, the broad in broadsword definitely described the style, but now it's, I feel like it it definitely works as more of like describing the family of swords since it it seems like everything kind of, a a lot of, a lot of the sort of classical uh, European swords specifically kind of uh, branched off from this initial stylization of a sword. I mean, it really is just, it's, I'm losing my words. It's okay. Because my brain is just like, it's a mommy sword that made babies. <laughs> but like, that's a good, I think that's a good way to describe it. I think that's a good, like, that makes sense to me. And I, and I know nothing about this sort of stuff. So it's like, kind of now how, like, coming off of, of this, uh, I mean, obviously we don't use swords in battle today, uh, but are there, I guess, smithies out there? Is smithies the right word to use? Like when you describe, is it is it a smithy? Smith. 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 But like the place of the, like the place where a, a blacksmith is. Is that a smithy? I've never heard that term used. Really? Yeah. I've always called it a smithy. No, typically, whenever I talk to a blacksmith, they're just like, yeah, in the shop. Oh, okay. I guess. Okay. So in, in, I'm in these. I'm just going to the shop to the shop. Don't. I'm just going to the shop. Don't. Stop, please. Um, <laughs> dear listener, here's a fun offshoot to tell you. <laughs> I took a road trip recently with another friend of ours um, and Liz. And granted, this was my fault, but I subjected us to i say subjected it was great for me uh four and a half hours of carly ray jepson's emotion and the side b um during the whole trip and to get back at me uh both liz and our friend decide to now sing the club banger that is carly ray jepson's store um as shop instead and it drives me up a wall 
And also, it's my perfect theme song for whenever I'm going into my shop to work on things. It's great. I sing it to myself constantly. Is and that she terrible? sends me Snapchats of it just to torment <clears throat> me. Yes. Because she knows. Anyway. Um, but would you say, like, now today, the sort of occurrence, the only, the, the main occurrence that we see of broadswords is kind of in in that sort of fantasiful uh, depiction of pop culture. We're not really, because we're not really seeing these things used practically anymore. Um, yes and no. I mean, we don't use them for battle so much, but we still use them as uh, a status rad? symbol. Can we talk about how rad that would be for a second? To just use them in battle? Yeah. Like, screw guns. <laughs> okay. No, wait. Actually, fun fact. Um, there is a group that still uses swords and they carry. Um, I'm going to, I am going to murder the name of this. Okay, go for uh, it. I believe it's pronounced the Gurkha Soldiers, which are in British, Indian, and... Uh, we're just going to go with British and Indian okay. um, armies. <laughs> um, they actually continue to use broadswords, um, but they're actually more related to the short sword family. Oh, okay. Um, and... Uh, Though they're typically used for more of a last resort thing, they will use them in battle. They will stab you. They will stab you. <laughs> like, they're carrying around, but th they'll use that. They'll, they'll use it all up on your face. Which, I thought that was really cool to come across that. But, unless you're, you know, if you're not a Gherkin soldier, which I can't imagine many people are seeing as... <laughs> I didn't really know about them until just recently. Right. Um, actually, a lot of swords today that are used are status symbols. Um, and in the U.S., for example, it's uh, given to, like, uh, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard officers. Um, and they're used as ceremonial blades. for So for, like, if you ever go to Washington and witness the changing of the guard, mm -hmm. um, sometimes they will use swords. Um, sometimes they'll use rifles. It kind of, I think they typically use rifles now, but I think there was a point where they actually used swords more so. Um, and then different ceremonies, uh, like weddings of corporal or higher officers would be, um, you would have swords, like, and I kind of wish I could I could have this at my wedding. They, like, make a tunnel with, like, the swords that are up. And then you, like, walk through it. Like, that would be the coolest thing. I always ever. I always thought these, that they were more considered, like, sabers, though. Yes. But that's... Again, that's where the melting pot of what a broadsword is comes in. Um, is it kind of like a square versus, like, square rectangle thing? Yeah, kind of. Like, like, all... Like, most swords... A lot of swords are broadswords, but not all broadswords are squares or whatever. I think you're trying to say all, like, all swords could be broadswords, but not all broad... I screwed it up myself. See? I have no See? place to talk. It's hard. I, my brain knows. <laughs> <laughs> my brain knows, but my mouth doesn't. It's hard. <laughs> um, but, I mean... Actually, like there, there's a difference in some of the swords mm -hmm. um, for the military, but I think there is uh, a short sword, and I'm trying to remember which branch it's for. 
I want to go with the Air Force. Okay. Um, that it's actually, it has a more of a broadsword design. I'm, if not, we might have someone, we might correct yeah, ourselves yeah, please, later on. Yeah, but... please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just going off of what I remember reading. Because mm-hmm. um, I was stupid and didn't write it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you thought this would be a good thing to know, and then just actually forgot to cite it at all. Yep. That's good research. Yeah, I'm I'm the best. I can't at... cre- I can't criticize you. I've I, I do no research, so <laughs> but I could I could spin off a, a good a good tale. A funny goof. Spin that goof. I will. Right round. Uh anything else we wanna any anything else you wanna address about broadswords uh right now? Um there was one thing that I thought was really cool. Go for it. Um uh, kinda going back here to Medieval times, briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, get your nasty chicken ready, guys. Yeah. Get the, mm. Maybe it's still clucking. You don't know. Uh, it's dark. <laughs> you don't know if it's cooked. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh, executioner swords are my favorite thing. Um, they're broadswords, but they aren't, they don't come to a point. They tend to just square off. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if you go to the Cleveland Museum of Art into their armory, they have one of my favorite swords of all time. It's a German sword, a 17th century executioner sword. And I could try and read it in German, but I don't want to. Send it to me. Send it to me. I'll read it. Um, I took five years of German. Okay. Uh, oh god. <laughs> As it turns out, um, it has been quite a while since I've read an entire German sentence. Um, so, I'll try my best. If this is really bad, I will edit it out. Uh, these, and what is this, what is the context of this sentence? Is this written somewhere? So it's written along the blade. Okay, so this is this is the phrase that's written along the blade in German, which is, "Wann ich das streckt through aufheben so, wum ich dem armen sunder das ewege leben." I would which not translates have... to, uh, it translates to, "When this sword do I lift, I wish the sinner eternal life as gift." Yeah, that's that's. That's, I kind of remember enough from German that I was getting some sort of thing about that. Apologies to anyone who knows German. Um, I haven't spoken German in five years, so that was probably very, very bad. So Much better than what I would have done, which was <laughs> one itch das shirt through. Oh, please af- stop, please stop, please stop. <laughs> exactly. It hurts me, it hurts me. Okay. <laughs> exactly uh, the reason why wanna... I did it. I think I want to close up here. Okay. With some advice for our people. Oh, some advice. I would love to hear this advice. This yes. is advice that we can estout throughout the throughout the world. Yes, this this is advice from me, your local Smith. So whether you're testing your latest forged sword or just being a total dweeb like myself, try to resist the urge to flail a new weapon like object. Especially if it's in your garage and the doors open and your mailman sees you oh and then God. proceeds to drive away quickly without giving you your mail. And nearly hitting a parked vehicle. Oh my god. <laughs> you may not get any letters or urgent messages for a few days or maybe a week. 
I wish I was making that up. I was going to say, I'm sure all of our listeners think you're exaggerating. No. But please take it from me. She's not. Um, <laughs> this is absolutely something she did. Which, okay. So, and I wish I could remember his name now, but my hairdresser, as, as weird and off topic as this is, mm-hmm. her husband is a mailman and knows this dude. Oh, good. Because he was just like, Oh my god, I went into this one neighborhood and there was this crazy woman just like there was fire and she was playing <laughs> around some some giant hunk of something and I I could I was afraid for my life and I drove off. Oh my god. I was just like, do I tell her it was me? <laughs> do I tell her it let was me? Let the secret me? let the secret let the mystery continue. Anyway, thank you all for listening to the audio armory. Uh we'll be back in uh 2 weeks from now with a new episode, a new uh, a new weapon we'll talk about. And um, Liz, do you want to thank our musical uh, artist? Who, oh, uh, yes. Whose intro, who is the uh, intro and outro of this fine podcast program? Yes. Her name is Samantha Hogan, and she is a wonderful composer. She was kind enough to actually give us right away um, our opener and our closer. And I believe... She didn't send me the website yet, but from the top of my head, I believe it's samanthahogan.com. That's S-A-M-A-N-T-H-A, and then Hogan is H-O-G-A-N. You sounded really confident about that one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm great at confidence anyway spelling as i uh, stare off into the wall <laughs> so if you need some fantastic music uh samanthahogan.com hopefully we'll cooperate that by the next episode so that we can give you a for sure url um so until next time we don't have an outro yeah so um we should work on that right now <laughs> we should uh don't throw rocks at birds. <laughs> Perfect outro. Fantastic. Until Don't next th- time, this has been the Audio Armory. Um, I have been and always will be your illustrious bard, Emily Cardamus. And I will always be your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. Um, and don't throw rocks at birds. Please. Please don't.